Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Happy. Our guest today is journalist Peter Ward. Peter Ward has a new book for our audience of the Not Old Better Show titled The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever. Join me and Peter Ward for an exciting interview about his new book, The Price of Immortality, as we explore the idea that there is a time in the not-too-distant future when biotechnology will be able to keep people alive indefinitely. Now, obsession and longevity is nothing new, Peter Ward tells us, certainly nothing new to our Not Old Better Show audience, but as science has advanced, immortalists were faced with a scenario most thought would never happen. They might be proved correct. As longevity medicine revolutionizes the lives of many older people, the quest to take the next step to live as long as we choose has spurred a scientific arms race in search of the elixir of life funded by big tech and Silicon Valley. Once the stuff of Mesopotamian mythology and episodes of Star Trek, the effort to make humans immortal is becoming increasingly credible as the pace of technological progress quickens, it has also empowered a wild-eyed fringe of pseudo-scientists, tech visionaries, scam artists, and religious fanatics who have given their lives over to the pursuit of immortality. Let's listen to a reading from Peter Ward in his new book, The Price of Immortality, as Peter Ward describes ancient Greek mythology and longevity. In ancient Greek mythology, Orpheus was one of the first men to challenge the concept of death. When his wife Eurydice died, he was overcome with grief. Refusing to accept her fate, the hero traveled to the underworld in an attempt to bring her back to life. There, he charmed the guardians of the river Styx, Pharaoh Charon, and the many-headed dog Cerberus with his musical talents. The depth of his suffering moved Hades, the king of the underworld, who allowed him to take Eurydice back to the land of living on one condition. As they left the underworld, neither of them could look back. When Orpheus approached the surface, he panicked and wanted to make sure he wasn't leaving alone. Without thinking, he turned to check that his wife was there, and just like that, she was gone. The tale of Orpheus was among the first to emphasize the dangers of rejecting death and cautioned the reader about the perils of looking back instead of forward. But neither the legend of Orpheus nor the thousands of stories that followed managed to deter people from seeking a cure for mortality. For centuries, wide-eyed optimists from all over the globe have sought magical potions, traveled to obscure mythical destinations, and made deals with devils and demons to try to ward off death. None of them succeeded and yet the attempts keep coming. The potions and elixirs may have new names, but they still appeal to one of humanity's strongest instincts, survival no matter the cost. The race to immortality has various definitions. To some, eternal life is a spiritual pursuit, and for others, it can refer to leaving a lasting impact through their acts or work. But this book is about the most literal take on immortality, to live forever physically in the world as we know it now. Those who chase such a lofty goal call themselves immortalists. That, of course, is our guest today, author and journalist Peter Ward, reading from his new book, The Price of Immortality. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone on radio and podcasts, journalist Peter Ward. Peter Ward, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. 
It's great to talk to you today. First of all, I hope you're well and uh, all family as well and uh, going good for you. Congratulations, uh, of course, on the book. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to, to have it out there. It is. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it, the, the title of which is The Price of Immortality. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I want to highly recommend it to my audience. But let's talk about the title. What, what do you see? is the price of immortality and 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 maybe tell us why this book now sure yeah so the title was was sort of left intentionally ambiguous um so the people that i followed to the book who, who want to be immortal who think they will be immortal um the price of immortality for them is, is sort of the lens that they'll go to to reach that goal and, and the risks that they'll take along the way um but i think it, it applies in a more broader sense um the price for mortality could be how it affects the world. Um, if we were to to defeat death, how it would affect the the population, the resources we have, politics, religion, and and much more. Um, and then I think in a, in a more philosophical philosophical sense, it could also be about how it would change us, sort of inside. If if there was no death, would life be worth living? Is a question that people in this realm ask a lot. Um, and the people that I spoke to who chase immortality obviously think it would it would still be worth living, but I think others are not so sure. Um, and then and then why this book now? I think I think honestly you could write this book every few decades and it would always be relevant um, because we're so obsessed with this topic of of living a little longer or or maybe even achieving immortality. It's always been an obsession of humanity. I think the the very first. You know, recorded literature, the the epic of Gilgamesh was about chasing immortality. So it's clearly something that is deep in the human psyche. Um, it, it is saying that it's an interesting time to write it. Uh, the the pandemic started not long after I started the reporting on it. Um, so it was strange to sort of have death everywhere and be permanently reminded about death, and then sort of have to go and, uh, and talk to people about living forever. It was an odd time, but I think it definitely threw these, um, these topics up and made them more relevant. Um, and then also science is, is moving so fast that this topic seems less ridiculous the longer we go on. Uh, we can do more and more amazing things in medicine and healthcare. Um, so I think we're at the stage now where I think people are investing big money into it, into the anti-aging space, um, and so that makes it an exciting time to be to be an immortalist. Uh, yeah, truly. Uh, in my own case, I, I host a show, <laughs> our show here today about about aging. I'm I'm a bit ob- obsessed uh, about this whole thing, and you're really reporting here on the subject of not so much aging, but living and living forever, defeating death, rejecting death kind of seeking a cure from mortality as uh, you know for as long as possible. We'll we'll talk about this cryonics industry in just a moment, but I want to hear you talk a little bit about the church of perpetual life and where it fits into this whole story. Yeah, sure. Um so the church of perpetual life is really where my reporting began. It's uh, it's a church in Florida. Um it's actually registered as a as a religion, uh, as a religious entity. Um, and it's where people go to gather, where they discuss um, how they will be immortal, how they can live for as long as possible. Um, so it's it's run. It, it, it the the building itself is in on the inside and the outside looks like a church. 
um, it, it actually houses other religions. Um, so it, they rent it out to other, to a Christian group most of the time, and then they do a monthly meeting. Um, so it's, it's this, it's this community that sort of comes together. And as you can imagine, it's a, it's a lot of eccentric people meeting. This isn't a mainstream thing to, to believe in. Um, and they come to discuss, and the main thing they do discuss is this concept called escape velocity, which is at a point where they believe they need to live up until, and then science will take care of the rest. So they believe if they can live, for example, for the next 30 years, then science will reach a point where it can extend their age by 50, their lifespan by about 50 years. And then another 50 years, science will have moved on so they can have another 50 years and this will happen indefinitely and they'll basically be able to choose when they die. Um, so that's the main concept. Um, and then it has various profits that they that they um, they list on the website um, and they have regular meetings. Um, yeah, and, and actually the first, when I went there, um, it was the annual Cryonics Symposium. So it was a good introduction into cryonics as well. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about cryonics because I think that that industry plays plays a big part in, in all of this and maybe how they started uh, perhaps with the church and, and maybe a little bit more, but where they are today even. Yeah. So cryonics is essentially a process where you freeze your body. Uh, that's the that's the easiest way to describe it. You freeze your body after you die in the hope that your body can be reanimated in the future. So essentially it's, um, it, it's just putting yourself on ice until science and technology evolves to the point where they know how to reanimate you. Um, so just to be clear, there's no proof that this can work. Um, and everyone involved in chronics completely acknowledges that they see it as a, as a sort of plan B, if they can't live forever by other means, then at least their body's on ice and maybe they'll be able to be reanimated when immortality is possible. Um, so it had a strange start as, as anything I think does when it's this out there. Um, it had a, a number of eccentric founders. Um, the first person who was frozen was a, um, the man who, who actually did the freezing turned out to be something of a con man. Um, depending on who you talk to. Um, and he, he was, um, not, that was not a great start for the industry. Um, and then throughout the, the years, it's always sort of been at war with each other. There'd been a lot of internal disputes. Um, and they've sort of lurched from one crisis to the next and, and struggled to be taken seriously at times. Um, and I guess today they, today they're, they're sort of trying to make it a lot more professional and a lot, seem a lot more, like a medical procedure. So they've actually shied away a little from the word immortality. So they don't see this as a, as a, I think some people do still see it as a way to immortality, but the official sort of sales literature doesn't talk about immortality. And the people, when you talk to, to the main cryonics providers, they won't talk about living forever. They say this is more of a medical procedure and a way to cure any disease. And the idea is just to postpone your, uh, what they see as death, um, from the disease until the point where that disease can be cured in the future. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating sort of evolution of that industry and it's got so many interesting characters. There's so many really strange people and, and dodgy characters and fascinating people who've been into it. Um, and, and at the core of it, the technology really hasn't come that far. 
um, I think that's one of the fascinating parts about it. I want to just take a break for a minute and talk about Happy, our sponsor today. Happy is the future of wearable wellness. You know, I hear from so many of you that you need more sleep. You're feeling stressed, even blue or or depressed a little bit, especially after the last two years of pandemic. It's true for all of us. As a matter of fact, 70% of adults in America report they obtain insufficient sleep and are sleep deprived. One in two U.S. adults experience depression each year. Over 20% of America suffers chronic pain, feeling pain every single day. That's over 50 million people. Wouldn't it be great if we could tap a button to feel energized without any caffeine? Tap a button to feel relaxed when stressed? When I heard that a wearable device called Happy, our sponsor today, that lets you change how you feel, I didn't believe it. So Gretchen and I had to try it. I'll tell you this, the Happy Wearable works by delivering signals to give you the same sensations as caffeine and melatonin without any of those chemicals or side effects. Think of these signals like you would a song only your body can hear. They're made by Happy to replicate the unique magnetic signatures of popular everyday ingredients. Just by switching the signal on your phone in the app, you can change how you feel. I love using the signals to boost my energy, like a little shot of caffeine, or increase my focus when I need to really crank out some work. They even have signals for getting deeper, more restful sleep. This is amazing. I use it at my desk while I'm working, and it really has been helpful elevating my performance. Really. And Gretchen uses it too. Well, I'll let her tell you about it. When Paul handed me the happy device, I have to admit I was skeptical. Like most women, I have issues with sleep, focus, and memory. It starts with Mom Brain, a product of multitasking in conjunction with hormonal shifts. When I tried the Happy device, I was shocked at the difference it made. These three areas, sleep, focus, and memory, were significantly improved. And the Happy device is a much healthier alternative to caffeine or melatonin or other stimulants and depressives you wind up taking to try and combat these issues. I'm completely sold on this device, and I can't go anywhere without it. (laughs) Thanks, sweetheart. That pretty much says it all, but Happy is backed by decades of research. Plus, it has a 365-day guarantee. You can try it for a whole year. Check out our website for a picture of this cool new wearable. But give Happy a try, and you're going to love it just as much as we do. Order today, and you'll save 25% and get 90 days free access to all their signals. Take advantage of their 365-day guarantee. Go to happy.com slash not old better. All of this will be in our show notes today, but that's happy, H-A-P-B-E-E.com slash not old better to save 25% on your order. Happy.com slash not old better. Thanks, everybody. We are with Peter Ward. Peter Ward is the author of the new book, The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever. Peter Ward has also written The Consequential Frontier. We're talking today about The Price of Immortality. The book will be on sale soon. I've got a copy of it in my hands right now, and I I enjoyed it thoroughly. I I thought it was wonderful. Again, I, I just want to recommend this. As soon as you get a chance to pick this up, do so. Peter Ward, I found the notes 
at the end fascinating. The, the your your research is is amazing. All of those notes were really in depth. I also found the book funny and and really just a joy to read. And you refer to these these con men. Maybe tell us about some of the eccentric scams, including some of the con men. This subculture that exists around this, there, there is this shift towards science away from immortality, but there are a lot of various players that uh, make up this industry, and they're a bit comical. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of dark humor, I think is, it's best mm-hmm. described as dark humor. Uh, it mm-hmm. always revolves around death, and some of it's almost slapstick in nature. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the early days of I mean, there's there's one story in there which is about cryonics in the 1980s, where um, someone, one of the major cryonics players' mother is dying, which is extremely sad. He decides to have a cryopreserved, but they um, they end up uh, sort of not having a doctor present when she dies before they cryopreserve her before they freeze her. So this becomes like this huge um, issue with the coroner, um, and they actually get accused of potentially murdering this woman because they. The, the coroner was speculating that the that the woman wasn't dead before they actually um because part of the procedure is to cut off her head um so there's this whole sort of part where they go and hide the head so there's a coroner coming for the head and they've hidden the head no one knows where it is they keep raiding the facility um and yeah mate I, I think if you if you read the full story it's more funny than how i'm describing it, it probably sounds pretty horrendous um but it's, but it, it's kind of it, it is sort of weirdly darkly funny in places. There's another story of a of a group um, called People Unlimited, and in its in its early days, its founder was a man who who basically had this near religious experience, and he saw he he kind of had a fit, and he saw these Bible scriptures in front of him, and he decided that that had made him immortal, and so he built this entire group. Um, which had a lot of followers um, at the time, um, and then and then he died, uh, which is obviously the worst thing that can happen to your to your group based on immortality. Um, and shockingly, the group survived, uh, and it's still around today. Um, didn't disband, despite you know the leader saying, "I'm immortal, you're all going to be immortal," and then he died. Um, so there's a there's a lot of sort of weird characters like that, um, which I just found really interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, if you if you go to someone like the Church of Perpetual Life, and and people just come to you, and and they're really nice people. That's one thing that I found. They're all very positive, and they're all very um, eccentric, um, and they're happy to share their stories. And but a lot of the times that their stories, you know, you're thinking, I don't know how you can quite believe this. Um, there's a lot of sort of scam artists in the multivitamin space that are trying to get people to take things. Um, there was one point where I was on a, in a conference and this uh, biohacker guru told everyone to take ozone gas rectally, uh, which I didn't quite know what was going on at that point. I was, I was, it was sort of three in the morning my time and I was listening to this uh, conference happening on, on Zoom because of, because of COVID. And I thought I'd sort of entered into another dimension at that point. Um, but everyone else found it completely normal and, and they were all asking in the chat, you know, what kind of dosage we should use. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really entertaining to speak to these people and at times also really uplifting because they do have this very optimistic view on life as well. 
There's a great chapter titled The Immortal Jellyfish. And and even though – and you talk a little bit about uh, jellyfish and clams and sponges and turtles. And, and you say that they're, they're not necessarily similar to humans, yet the immortalists have learned a great deal from the jellyfish about mortality. And that's the title of the chapter, The Immortal Jellyfish. Tell us a little bit about some of this investigation because this is kind of science-related and, and has some basis here. And, and I, thought that was, I thought that was a fascinating uh, point to bring in. Yeah, so there's there are species in 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 nature which give immortalists hope, uh, and none more so than than the immortal jellyfish. Um, so they the, the Latin name for the species is and I'm probably pronouncing this wrong is Turritopsis dornei, and um, so they are hydrozoans, um, and they were discovered in 1988 in Italy. Um, so they're essentially invertebrates and their appearance alternates between a jellyfish and soft coral um, and so what happens is when they are sort of damaged or attacked or injured they something happens inside their bodies they 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 reprogram their cells and they essentially start aging in reverse sort of a, a benjamin button effect um, and they get younger until they reach the stage of, of soft coral again um, and at that point they start the life cycle over uh, and there's no sort of limit of, of how how many times they can do this. So you could say that these these jellyfish are, are immortal. Um, they they could if you kept sort of if they kept regenerating like that, they could go on forever. And, and I don't think anybody's ever sort of had one long enough to see if it if it can do that. Um, the interesting thing is that they can also sort of attach themselves onto cargo ships and, and travel great distances, and they survive in any ocean in the world. So this is like a global. A global species um, and immortal, so so definitely one to look out for if they ever you know became intelligent. Um, but with some of the, th- there's a lot more species that live longer than than they should do. One of them is the naked mole rat, um, which aging researchers um, study a lot because it's it's sort of the same same sort of size as, as as species which live only two or three years, but it can live to thirty years. And it's extremely cancer resistant. So with those things, that they're fascinating to immortalists and they're fascinating to aging researchers because they may hold some secrets of, of sort of how uh, of how the body is programmed to to live for so long and whether you could reverse some of that programming so you could live a little longer. I thought it was interesting that robots um, can potentially play a part in immortality and one in particular that I just thought was really an amazing part of this story is and I hope I'm I hope I'm pronouncing this right and that's is that Bina and and yeah, tell us yeah, tell us about Bina yeah thanks yeah so Bina is um so Bina is a robot um it was uh built by a group called the Terrorism Movement uh which the the Terrorism Movement's whole thing is that they want to promote digital immortality uh, and that involves uploading your essence your personality or, or something that represents you to to a computer to um to the internet um they also beam sort of these personal files which they these mind files which they create into space um they do anything they can to preserve them um so it's a kind of everlasting life but it's it's digital um and then the idea would be that at some point in the future, your personality or what makes you you would be then downloaded into a robot um, or some kind of uh, 
mechanical you could live on a computer is another is another theory or you could you could live in some kind of uh cloud um digital cloud um existence um so bina is the first sort of attempt to prove that that was possible so uh, martine rothblatt who who founded the terrorism movement made it based on her wife bina um and so it's it's supposed to look like Bina, it's supposed to talk like Bina, it's supposed to have Bina's experiences um, sort of programmed into it. Uh, and, and you can watch videos of Bina on YouTube, they're, they're all out there. Um, and I mean, it, Bina does not look like a human or move like a human, it's only from the neck up. Um, it does have sort of cameras so it can recognize people and it does have, um, it, it can listen to people and, and, and take on information. Um, I mean, it's a long way from from what terrorism wants to do ultimately, but it's a really interesting experiment, I think. And and one of the things they did come up against was um, that Bina was found initially not to really, uh, I guess, uh, be able to sort of replicate the life experiences of a of an African American woman, which is Bina the original uh, um, background, and and so they had to do work to sort of make her more accurately represent that because she wasn't sort of one of the problems with these things is that there's always a programmer and there's always someone who wrote the code. And if the person who wrote the code, uh, is white and male, which most often they are in technology, um, then sometimes that can mean that, that minorities, um, aren't properly represented. So that was one of the conversations that arose from Bina and it was a fascinating debate. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. I spoke to the person who sort of looks after Bina, and and he's th- their foundation, and it is that also is a religion. There is a religion element to it, the digital immortality. And one of the things that they talk about a lot is how to do this responsibly, so how to make a future in which you'd want to live in, um, which I think is a key part to anything when you're when you're looking this far into the future. Yeah, I. I really found that too. I thought that was really interesting that they, um, that if science is going to catch up and if there's going to be m- more of a shift, you know, towards science, less of a discussion on the church websites, um, literature about about uh, immortality, uh, whether it's events and workshops and conferences. If we're thinking about this future, is there so much a an emphasis on defeating aging or is it just kind of staying healthy while we're alive so that as science catches up, we have this place and this place has to consider the environment and some of these other environmental subjects. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting debate and there's two sort of, I guess there's two schools of thoughts in terms of how, whether we can defeat aging or whether we should do. So some people say we should concentrate on lifespan which is making humans live as long as possible. Uh, and then others focus on health span, which is essentially we, we would live roughly the same amount of time, but that time that we had would mostly be healthy. So the ideal scenario in that case would be to live till what some people think is the maximum age is 120, um, but not be sick until maybe you are 119, 118, um, or even you know, not sick until the day you die. Um, and so there is that sort of debate within aging research. And you find that uh, a lot of the people that I spoke to, the immortalists, they're obviously on the side of extending the lifespan no matter what. 
um, and they believe that health spam will come with it as an actual thing. Whereas a lot of the actual scientists that I spoke to that work in aging, they're all about health spam and 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 treating. So they they believe that aging is a disease, which it's not classified as by a lot of people. Um, and and there's a big call now to classify aging as a disease to say, rather than saying you know rather than treating cancer and heart disease, saying actually we're going to solve the underlying thing that causes all of these things when we get older, which is aging. Um, there's there's a sort of old research that said if we if we cured cancer and, and heart disease, um, then we'd only extend the 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 expected uh, lifespan in in America by by a couple of years. Whereas if we were to to um, cure aging, then then we'd extend it to pretty much whatever the maximum turns out to be, which again people think is around 120. Um, so I think there's so so there's those two schools of thoughts, and and from what I found, the lifespan argument mostly came from people who personally wanted to live longer, who I think were affected by death, a lot of them, or just didn't find like they had enough time to do everything they wanted to do. Um, whereas the houseman argument generally came from people who uh, wanted to help the world suffer less, which is one I could identify with a lot more. Um, and I think if we do address houseman uh, and, and and address those those things, you would immediately eliminate so much suffering in the world, which I think is a, a more noble goal. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I, I don't believe we can defeat aging in terms of we can't live forever right now. You could never say, you can never say never on something. Technology can do crazy things and, and, and maybe in, you know, hundred, 200 years, um, it will be possible, but right now we can't live forever. And I think actually striving for immortality doesn't really help us. We should instead strive to, you know, help people uh live better lives for as long as possible um so yeah immortality you know is is a big word to throw around obviously if the sun (laughs) were to swallow up the earth then no one's going to survive anyway so um it's yeah (laughs) it's a tricky one yeah i think and i think that's kind of where my show fits i I, it's making the world a better place It, it and I personally probably am more, uh, at least I, I'd like to think that that's kind of the focus of the show. And certainly talking to people like you helps helps me get there. I think I probably fall into this health span school of thought too. Uh, you know, I, I'm 65. Um, I, I exercise every day. I, I eat a plant-based diet. Um, just generally healthy. You're right. I could get swallowed up by the sun, and and all would be for naught. But I wonder, I wonder where you stand. Are are you personally a practitioner and and perhaps a believer? And maybe tell us maybe some of what the lessons uh, that you've learned uh, that maybe our audience can apply to kind of start their own paths to um, uh, health span, perhaps over over lifespan. Sure. Yeah. I think. So when I started this, I was, I think where most people start out, they think, no, that sounds weird. I, I don't want to live forever. Um, you know, it's, uh, this world is, <laughs> life can be difficult enough if it didn't go on forever. Um, 
and then the more sort of you go into the subject the more it it sort of teases you into thinking the opposite i think um if you you know someone to offer your loved ones immortality then i think that's something that everyone would really struggle to to turn down or um if suddenly you were given a, a terminal diagnosis and then someone said oh we should be immortal then i think your your view would change very quickly at that point um so i do find it it fascinating i i still uh i i'm not doing anything that i didn't do before i i try to eat healthily um some of the things that i do do were, were sort of backed up as i went along as, uh, and re- reassured I, I i don't eat meat for example and i think that was one of the things that came up uh with a lot of people was saying you know too much red meat in particular and and and, and things like that um one of the interesting things was that i looked into a lot of the very experimental stuff like stem cell therapies um gene therapies, things like that. But over and over again, people were saying that at this point, at least, the best thing you can do is eat healthily and exercise. You can spend thousands, thousands of dollars on other things and they won't make a difference in the long run um, unless you have a specific thing that you're treating. But in terms of just expanding your health span and your lifespan, the best thing to do is to is to eat healthily and exercise, which is kind of a boring answer and not what people want to hear. <laughs> We'd, we'd love to to um, have that sort of, you know, that pill that we can take to live a bit longer. Um, but I think for now, it's just about patience, which is the hardest thing to do in the world when, when you're getting older. Um, and so, but if someone really pushed me and really, you know, told me what is the one thing you would do to, to try and make yourself live longer, I think the the one thing, and I'm not a doctor and I can't recommend this as a, as a medical professional, the, the one thing that really seems to have make a difference that I think even gerontologists agree upon is intermittent fasting. Um, so, so sort of, so almost fake starving the body for periods of the day, um, does seem to have an effect where it tells your cells that, you know, resources are scarce and you need to go in defensive mode. And it does seem to, to sort of allow the environment for regeneration to happen. Um, and so, and again, I haven't tried that, so I can't really say it definitely works, um, because I get far too grouchy when I don't eat. Um, but I think if there was one thing which I would say, okay, maybe try this in the right circumstances, if you feel very safe, if you don't have any other, uh, issues with, with, with food, then, then maybe that would be, that'd be worth a try in the right circumstances. Well, we can read the book. Uh, the Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever to Learn More. We'll put up links to where our audience can find out more information about the author, Peter Ward, our guest today. Peter, thanks for reading from the book. Thanks for your generous time today for all this great research that you've done and um, for a book that really is enjoyable, but but a, a really great account of what this industry is all about and perhaps where we'll go in the future. Thanks for joining us today. And please, as, as you do more work in this area, come back and see us. And, and just as you do more work, we'd love to talk to you in the future too. But thank you so much for your time today. Sure, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Paul. My thanks for author and journalist Peter Ward, who's written the new book, The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever. My thanks, of course, to the wonderful folks at Happy for sponsoring today's episode. Please check out our show notes for more information about Happy, and please go check out our sponsors. Please support them. 
Of course, my thanks to you, my equally wonderful audience at the Not Old Better Show. Remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week on radio and podcast.